Hello? Is that Frank? Yes. Hiya, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, yeah. Glad to meet you. Well, glad to meet you, too, even if it's over the phone. I heard you paint houses. Yes, yes, sir, I, I do. I do, and I, uh, I also do my own carpentry. All right, welcome back, Analysis listeners. Welcome back into the show from Denver, Colorado. Jordan Harris and Mike Hammond, say hi to the people. What's up? Denver mob in the house. Yeah, the Denver mob. You guys paint houses? Guys, I do my own carpentry work. Yeah, you paint and you do your own carpentry work. Nice. You could tell you just came fresh off the movie. You got your yeah, line set and everything. <laughs> watch it this morning again. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, of course, today we're going to be talking about a much-anticipated film. Have had multiple people come up to me and ask me when we're doing an Irishman conversation because everyone seemed to have seen this movie by now, so it seems like a perfect time to jump in. It's this early December piece that the movie was released on Netflix and that's where I think most people saw it um the movie was released on November 27th so we're here we're talking Scorsese we're talking about Pacino we're talking about De Niro and Pesci and and everything mob and 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 everything Irishman so uh what were your guys's first takes on the movie yeah, I was a little late to the party, actually. Uh, you know, I'd been on vacation, gallivanting around Europe, so um, I, you know, <laughs> gallivanting, I, this nice a much word. Anti- yeah, yeah, yeah. As much anticipated film, um, and I'd actually wanted to see it in the theaters, and it was playing here in Denver, but because of this weird sort of Netflix uh, theatrical release situation, the times before I left for the vacation were. If I wanted to see it in theaters, I had to either see it at 9 in the morning or like 11 p.m., which was a little bit crazy. So um, as hard as it was, I uh, delayed a bit and uh, caught it on Netflix and only got to see it last night. So uh, like you said, it's it's fresh in the mind. And um, the, my, one of my I think when we talk about this movie, you almost have to start at the end because uh, and I mean that sort of literally in terms of like starting at the last scene of the movie and part of that is because I think the last line is very uh, poignant, but also that this movie itself is a reflection. And as much as this movie is about uh, the the story detailed in the movie, it's about much more than that. And it's about the the actors themselves. It's about Scorsese. And the last line of the movie, De Niro as an old man, Frank sitting there in a wheelchair, uh, saying something to the effect when uh, I think it's the priest who he's talking to is leaving and he asks him to not close the door all the way on his way out because he doesn't like that and just to leave it open a little bit. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was as much about the character of Frank as it was about the actors and just uh, them saying goodbye to a generation of making films of mob movies and uh, a swan song for De Niro and Pacino um, I don't think Scorsese's done, but I, I, I think he's probably moving on from mob, mob movies at this point. Um, these guys are like 80 years old, man. It's, uh, it, it was, I wasn't expecting it when I went into the movie that this would be about m- more than what we saw on screen, but that was my, my biggest takeaway. That's really interesting that you say that, and there's definitely a lot to unpack with that final tableau of him in that cracked door. It, it's definitely a callback from earlier in the movie because he's staying in Hoffa's hotel room and he's it's his first time kind of looking after Hoffa and Hoffa says, keep the door cracked. And, and I've read different places that they say there, there's a few different ways why Hoffa would leave that open. One is that he likes to have power or control over uh, some of his circumstance, and he doesn't want to be boxed in by his enemies. So there's kind of a fear element that's happening there. Um, and then there's also, there's there's definitely him trying to keep Frank, the, the character at the end of the movie, trying to keep the door open uh, in, of his life, because that, that door is about to close, his life is about to close. So I think there's, there's some, there's kind of a regret factor because he's he doesn't want the the life to close he's very regretful at the end of his life 
he's kind of dug his own grave. That's another metaphor that's playing where he, he, he talks about the people who dug their own graves in the war, and, and he's definitely dug his own grave of loneliness and regret by his own doing. So there's that factor happening, regret, and then also fear, because I think Frank is still, in a way, afraid someone might come in and, and, and do him some sort of harm. He kind of lives the rest of his life. Yeah, I think that's definitely the, the take within the film. That's that's the character of Frank and how he's expressing that line. But I, when I heard that, the way it hit home for me was that it was almost like a, uh, a tip of the hat for De Niro and Pacino and saying just like, you know, kind of a, a don't forget about us. Don't close the door on yeah. our careers. Like, just remember us. And yeah. I think it plays on both levels, but for some reason that's kind of how it hit me. Yeah, it felt like a very deliberate last 20 minutes where it was like, we definitely want to take our time and get these themes out. That's kind of closing some loops in the movie or kind of letting you feel that, but also kind of like this meta, like this is how we feel about our careers in movies in general. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's very deliberate. Well, there is a mythology, right? There's a mythology behind Jimmy Hoffa himself. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Hoffa is this American icon. A lot of the story now has, has kind of become probably a lot bigger than what it actually was. And there's, there's a mythology behind a Martin Scorsese, Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro mob movie. Like that, that in itself, like these guys doing this one last time has its own mythos to it too. Oh yeah. So I, I definitely hear yeah. what you're they, saying. They, they might be actors playing roles, but it's become part of their identity as people as well. Yeah, it's funny Jordan kind of came from that perspective because I, when I was watching this, I almost saw this movie like a trilogy, almost like it was the third part of a series in some ways because obviously you have Goodfellas in 1990, you have Casino in 95, and then The Irishman had quite a gap. So that, I mean, it was almost like 20, 20, 25 years later that this third installment of this Scorsese kind of gangster series rolled out. And that's kind of the way that I viewed it. And almost like in a normal trilogy, let's say it was like, the matrix or any of these movies with a bunch of sequels it's like this movie was i was really happy they made it and i i loved watching it and you know i have a ton of respect for all these people but it did have that like it didn't have the juice right of the other ones i don't think in terms of the actual like gangster side of it i think it was different and i think it was very different because of the fact that they're older they're older and they're and they're reflecting and that's why i said this movie is really a reflection because they're looking back and you have sort of the wisdom in the characters in the movie of uh, a person who's lived a long life and that's why i think the story's being told from de niro at an old age looking back and so it yeah even when even when he reflects back at, at the younger yeah. de niro even the, the like action scenes weren't they weren't very actiony it was almost it felt like it was through the eyes of somebody looking back and being like i used to be a young man i used to you know be able to walk into a grocery Mm. store and kick the shit out of a guy right like people feared me and it was a reflection and i think you know in the movie the the scenes that actually involve uh a little bit of action some shooting all happened very quick and i thought that was deliberate and not to uh, I, I just think the movie was going for a different tone. It was very much more methodical and reflective and thoughtful than it was an in-the-moment gangster flick where these guys are, mm-hmm. you know, in their youth making these decisions like, uh, you know, charged up with angst and rage and, you know, murdering people. And it was all sort of looking back at, at how those uh, situations played out. Right, right. Like, it's not their younger selves in this yeah. world doing these things. They're older and... That's the deliberateness I'm talking about at the end of the movie. It's like very intentional that he wants this to like breathe a bit and he wants you to think about like not just the characters but them and like sort of the end of their careers in real life. Yeah. This movie is definitely more subtle, older and wiser and has deeper themes about life than the other two that you mentioned, Mike. And that's why I really like it. For me, you can take more from the themes and metaphor from this movie than you can from Goodfellas. And that's the thing that's been frustrating me so much when, because I work in an office with 200 people, and a lot of people are, are talking about this movie, and they're, they're, they're directly comparing it to Goodfellas. And they are, and I, I, I can understand that, because the director, and because Pesci, and because of De Niro, and, and also just the way the movie was marketed. 
you, the, the trailers for this mm-hmm. movie were definitely pushing taxi cabs into the into the water and then bang 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 guns and like it they definitely led you to believe that it was going to be that type of movie but this movie to your point really takes its time and and i think you know it really is is a litmus test for me for the two types of people who are going to watch a movie and it's definitely the, the two camps are like the people who just want to go and be entertained. And Goodfellas is a more entertaining movie in that sense. It's a coke movie. It's dudes living in excess. The murders are bigger. The the they're doing coke all the time. It's got a lot of energy to it. There's definitely a drive to that movie. And and then you know, but then there's also the camp that people who want artistic engagement in their movies. And I think probably eighty five percent of moviegoers want to just kind of go for a ride. And then, you know, there's the, the, the few of us that really like to kind of reflect and, and see where this kind of, see this as an art piece and see where it can bring value to our life. And I think this movie has a lot of that. There's a lot of, there's, a, there's just a lot in terms of self-choices and, and, and in terms of, uh, you know, this movie's dealing with morality. It's dealing with mortality and, and it's dealing with like the growth of families. So... For me, it's it's a different movie, mm-hmm. but I really liked it in that sense. Did did you guys like this movie? Did you were you were you were you as pumped up kind of emotionally as I was when this was over? Well, definitely. You know, for the first two hours, I would say there's it's really there's not a lot of suspense in the movie. It's very much a dialogue driven uh, sort of backstory creating, laying the groundwork and. The groundwork is 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 very well laid, and uh, everything is is building to a, a certain point, which is the climax of the movie. But in a lot of these gangster movies, right, like somebody is um, under duress from the beginning, and it's it's very suspenseful. And this wasn't like that at all, and it was just very a different type of mob movie. And and yeah, I I think you know we we've had these conversations going on twenty years now. I think between the three of us, we're all in that firmly in that class of people that will enjoy something to that effect so i i did like this movie quite a bit for me i was enthralled the entire time it i wasn't sure what to expect uh you talked about the trailers i am actually very proud of myself for avoiding all of you that. are so good I, at that i don't think i'd actually seen a trailer you go in with a very fresh yeah perspective. i've been making i've definitely been making a, a point to do that and so i didn't i didn't know what to expect but i did know it was a mom movie so there's certain expectations that um you go into films like that um ready for and pretty early on i realized oh this is this is not goodfellas this is not going to be like that it's going to be different and i guess that's a testament to the tone that scorsese set very early on but i was all about it i liked it i wasn't i wasn't bored um you know i i I don't know that it's going to have rewatchability because of the fact that it's like that. You know, it's not going to be one of those movies that you probably just throw on on a, on a Sunday afternoon because you want to check something out. You know, you, there's nothing else to watch. So, like, what haven't I seen in a while? But um, I think this is one that's probably going to go down when you look back at the careers of De Niro and Pacino and Scorsese and. Harvey Keitel's in here, but he has a, a smaller role. I, I think this is going to be one that when you're looking at the highlights, you're going to have to watch The Irishman. Like, same thing. I'm I'm, I'm happy it was made. I mean, I'll see anything Scorsese makes, and obviously these are, like, generational actors that are kind of at the end of their... I guess their careers is one way to say it, but just kind of the end of their pop culture. Like, I wonder how many younger people even care well, that's about, like, thing. De Niro and, like, Pacino and seeing them, whereas, like, we're like, no, these are, like, really important actors. So... Like I'd and like, they're also I at the top the... of their, not at the top of their game, but they're they really charge it up for one last ride here. I think they're all really good in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and we talked about it earlier, and I wrote this down. I mean, for the age these people are, and I know there's been some criticism on like some of these scenes, like the, you know, when De Niro's beating up the the store guy, it's it's a little rough, right? He's kind of like <laughs> he can't lift his the leg. Little, up. The old yeah, man kicks. Right, right, right. He's doing like, <laughs> he's like kicks. these like these like kick flips that like. No, no one would be scared of him in real life. Yeah, uh, in this situation, but you can the make best them, part you can is make that's the look. best one they got. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how many cuts do they take of that like they, before they got one where it looked okay? Yeah, uh, you can make them look younger, but you can't make them actually right you know, more agile. Yeah, sure. The scene in 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where Sharon Tate is is doing the karate and she's practicing with Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. And she's getting they think they're cutting between the actual film of her kicking ass and then I wonder what the what who who was this, this the trainer with De Niro, this old man. And and they're like, All right, you gotta be a forty year old dude that's gonna rock some ass now and they're like, Well yeah, we can't totally. lift his legs up. Like yeah. what are we how do we do this? choreograph this? <laughs> He's wearing yeah. a diaper. Like yeah. he's got like these like saggy <laughs> saggy pants on. Yeah, he's eighty. It's like how Marty? How am I supposed to block this? How am I supposed to make this action? Anyway, well, we'll do our best. And I, I feel we'll like they probably know. filmed a bunch of takes and we're just like, we're we're just gonna go. With sure, that. sure, we can make that work. No. You know what though? Because we we actually talked about this because it we sort of laughed about it. Uh, Chrissy and I, when we were watching it, and she said, "Why couldn't they just use a double for that? If they can make him forty yeah. years younger, like why couldn't they have just like put that forty years younger face on another person's body just for that like ten second clip, just well, to get a kick up?" Yeah, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about this. But come up over his knee. Yeah, I will talk about the de aging yeah. stuff. I'm sure, which is I, I'm interested to review. But well, let's just, just do it now. We're here. Let's do right, it now. Because well, that's the thing with this movie. So like. How old is De Niro supposed to be in some of these scenes? Like, it is a little bit off-putting uh, when you're watching. It's like, is he supposed to be 50? Is he supposed to be 40? He's not supposed to be, like, in his 30s, right? Like, it's hard. I think he's probably 30s at the beginning of the movie. I mean, he doesn't look like a 30-year-old man in the beginning of that movie. Well. And a lot of it's, like, physical I think he's supposed stature. to be in his late 40, or early 40s. That's what I think. Okay. And okay. I'm okay with the de-aging. Yeah, well, I think it's re- fine. He's, it, he's fairly recently returned from the war. So there's not too many people that would have come back from World War Two in their forties. Yeah, he's there for four years too. He said, yeah. I think in the. But is, I guess I'm okay with the aging because, yeah. for me, it ta- it's just as jarring when a movie has a younger actor playing the same character, and your 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 brain has to do the extra work. You're still you're still decompressing that that like okay now this this is no longer Brando and obviously De Niro is is Vito Corleone in, in an earlier life or earlier part of his life you're still doing that mental uh that mental conversion and I think it's really important and what Martin Scorsese wants to the viewer to see is the weight and the the effect of all of these choices that Frank has made throughout the course of his life and I think having De Niro and De Niro's face be the be the series of those choices, you feel that at the end of the movie. So you, you see De Niro stealing the stakes. You see him blowing up the laundromat. You see him shooting whispers in the face. Like, and, then, and then after that first scene, and it's the first scene with him and Pesci at the truck, and they're fixing the... That's the one that's most jarring for me. Where they're, where they're fixing the truck. After that, it gets pretty seamless. Mm-hmm. Like, when they're sitting down to dinner and stuff, mm-hmm. I'm completely invested in the story and completely invested in the performances, and I'm no longer thinking about the faces. And then there's a certain point in the movie where I'm like, I don't know if they're on, if the faces are on, uh, on de-aging or not. Like, they, I thought it actually got to be pretty seamless. So I was cool with it. Yeah, I have no problem with the actual de-aging technology. And in fact, I think they probably, I think they used aging technology at some points too to make the actors look older than they really are. Oh um, yeah, yeah. They look like death yeah. at the end of the movie. Yeah, and I, I have no problem with that. I think we were just kind of pointing out when you do that, yes, you can look younger, but you can't actually be younger. So if you have Physically. sort of action scenes, right. yeah, it, that's where you sort of notice that. <laughs> right, right. And that's why I wanted to bring up just really quickly the ages of these people in real life because it's insane because De Niro 76 Pesci is 76 Pacino 79 yeah and these guys are like pretty animated Bob like you said like they go for it and you have to have a ton of respect for that and the fact that they can pretty much pull this off I think that's the story more than they're old and it kind of looks weird sometimes but I mean it is it is part of the movie I I feel I do feel a little disoriented sometimes, but not enough to take me out of the movie. The only other it really option is, is, the, is the younger actor thing, but I honestly think it, sure. it, it's 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 about well, the, the same. But I think the the point of why you would de-age, I think it's it helps the movie. I think it actually makes the movie better because you can feel mm-hmm. those choices throughout the course of the movie because it's De Niro in the whole the whole way. And to your point, Mike, nobody yells at and points his finger and screams at people better than Al Pacino. Like does, not does full Pacino, he's going full here. Pacino. Yeah. Does anybody it's eat amazing. a steak he's... more menacingly than El Pacino? He's just eating steak, <laughs> chewing on meat, and staring at people. And I laughed out loud at that scene. It's like, dude, I just can feel how angry he is. Dude, that scene with he, 
like the attempt on his life or whatever in the courtroom. He's talking about there's you know, a gun and a knife and yeah. you charge a gun and you run away from a knife and he's going just full Pacino. It's like I was charge a gun. You run away from the knife. <laughs> just, you, you, you run away. Yeah. You charge the gun. You run from the knife. That's I, what I just mesmerizing. I'm like, yeah, I'll watch like 30 minutes of this. Like I want to see Pacino do oh. just all in Pacino on this kind of stuff. I my, love it. my favorite dude. Pacino was when he was fucking pissed that that dude showed up to the meeting in Miami in shorts. And oh like, yeah, so good. And he didn't wear a suit. Dude. Yeah, he he's was like, so I wear a fucking suit if I'm in Timbuktu. If I'm going to a meeting, yeah. <laughs> he's just bringing it. Yeah. That was the most Goodfellas was his relationship with Pro. The, the showdown where he's eating pudding or ice cream or whatever in, oh, in yeah. jail and then yeah. that meeting, that was the most kind of good fellas of this whole thing. And I, and I did really like those moments. It, it, they were really tense. It was, it was very mob-like. I thought uh-huh. that, that, that that was really well done. I loved when, when Pacino Hoffa could not get over that and they're meeting like however many years later, 10 years later. Yeah, he just he, I was trying to eat my ice cream, and this fucking guy, <laughs> yeah. he just could not get over it, just dwelling on it. Yeah, and Pro showed up late on purpose because he knew it was gonna rattle him. Yeah, it's just it's all this leverage and this, but then again, it's it, and that's why it's so good at the end of the movie when Frank's sitting there alone, and and the priest says he's gonna come back after Christmas, and he's like, well, I'll be here. There's no one to come see me, and and you just see the irrelevance of all of those little political. Uh, riffs and in, in, in the leverage here and the leverage there and at the end of the sand of time just makes it all irrelevant anyway and this movie has a lot to say just about the choices we make what's important because what's important to frank at the end of that movie like what's he trying to really get done he's trying to see Family. his daughter yeah. he's trying to rebuild at the, he's scrambling at the end of his life to try to re- rebuild these relationships that he did not prioritize and i thought that that that's a that's a really great lesson I think there's an important distinction, too, from other mob movies that we've seen in the past, which almost kind of idolize those behaviors. 100%. This one is very much saying, this doesn't end well There's for a consequence. You it's either, more mature. You either get murdered for whatever goddamn reason. Sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's because you irked someone the wrong way. Sometimes it's you cross somebody. Or you live a long life, and that's not a happy long life. Like yeah. the fact that Frank lives a long time doesn't mean that he was successful in some way or that he's happy. He's he's had a horrible life, and anything that might have mattered to him in terms of his family, like that that all fell apart. Yeah, and again, Goodfellas and Casino they sort of glamorize and they stylize like killing people and robbing people. Like this isn't cool stuff. These aren't good people. They really shouldn't have good lives. And then you see this. 30, 40 minute drawer where yeah. it's like, yeah, these are like miserable, lonely, well, it's not living in their own. Right. It's not cool. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's, so like that's the real Jordan's point where the, the kills yeah. aren't glamorous in this movie because it's not glamorous work. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then it's also the, the, the digging of your own grave. And he has that line where he says, I was always amazed at the war that these guys would continue to dig their own graves and they knew the outcome of it. And he's throughout the course of this movie, through all these actions, he's dig- digging his own shitty grave and he's got to even go, he's dig he's got to pick out his casket. Like that's what's more like digging your own grave than picking out your casket in the tomb. You're going to live that that's all part of his, his process is like digging his own shitty life by his own undoing. So I think that's a really hmm. powerful message. It's a good observation. I really didn't like connect all that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean Anna Anna Paquin, his, uh, who plays his daughter in the movie. I mean, her her job is pretty much to just see through that sort of facade that he puts on that he's some man of like importance. And she, from the time that and it's not Anna Paquin when it's six years old, uh, uh, actor playing her, but from the whole time that she's involved, she's looking at him with just such disgust, right? That's yeah. whether it was the young Anna, uh, I forget the character's name, but the young Anna Paquin or the old one, they just look at Frank with such disgust because they see right through him. Yeah. They know right away. Yeah. Who he is. He's not a good yeah, person. Yeah. Well, like, she's, she's the moral conscience of both the audience and also Frank because he looks at her and he, he has his own guilt. And so that's why that scene's really great when he comes back to the house and they're asking how, Hoffa's wife's doing and he's like I haven't called her yet and she goes why have you not called her and she that's all that's all she needs to know to know that Frank is directly involved with this in one way or another but that's it's he's and he's has all this guilt all of a sudden walk over him he goes in to make that phone call and he's the one that's all fucked up he's supposed to be consoling Hoffa's wife and he looks like the one that needs to be consoled 
And then later in the movie, he's he's reflecting and he says, "What kind of man makes a call like that?" Well, you know, and, and it's and it's and, him. It's it's his own conscience. You know, she's his conscience in a way. And he acts like Frank acts like he lacks empathy. He I think when he's talking to the priest, he says something about how he doesn't regret any of the things that he's done in his past. But I think you can tell through the performance of De Niro and um, sort of the way he emotes on screen that that's not true. He's just swallowed it up so much that he can't express it. So you kind of see it on his face and you can see it in these in these moments, but his character can't verbalize it. And and then there's also this this feeling about your own mortality and just what's your legacy in a way. And I think they do a really nice job of that because I think that's why Frank inevitably because this is bi- based on a book. Do you guys you guys know that it's called mm-hmm. the the book is called yeah I well, hear it's you very paint, controversial I heard you too, paint houses by Charles about. Brandt and it's about the confession that mm-hmm. that yeah. Charles or that Frank Sheeran makes and so I think the reason why he ends up confessing towards the end of his life and and all these agents and, and, and authors and stuff are trying to get these interviews with him for, for this confession is because he starts to reflect and, and they don't even know who Hoffa is. So even if you're like the big, like that, that nurse doesn't even know who Jimmy Hoffa is. That's, that's the point of that scene is he's like, oh my God, like if no one remembers Jimmy Hoffa, like what's my legacy going to be? Nobody comes to visit me in this senior citizen right. home. And, and there is this, this part of the human spirit that wants to endure. Like whether it's that you're remembered by three people or whether you're remembered by three million, like he, you want to have some part of your legacy live on. And he's sitting there tragically mm-hmm. alone at the end of that movie. And he just, I think he wants to be remembered a little bit as well. Well, I think also they justified their actions and their criminal activity and, you know, straight up killing people through uh, this kind of idea that they were supporting the greater good. But then come 20, 30 years down the road, no one even knows who these people were. Yeah, you're and I think that's probably yeah, and I think that's probably a hard thing for him to swallow, right? Because that's how he did the mental gymnastics to uh, convince himself that what he was doing was you know you know not murder, which it was, right? Well, it, it, and it was also this thing I think that's prevalent in a lot of these Scorsese mob movies where it really is a story of America, and like being an American and like. What does he say in the beginning? Like, I was there every day working stiff until I wasn't anymore. It was like he wanted more, and it's just status and, like, economic means and things that he's sort of going after. All these people are. And it's sort of that story of, like, how important is that stuff when it costs you your family or people around you or yeah. whatever. And it yeah, kind of tells that story in the same. Forrest Gump joins the mob, right? It, it kind of had a Forrest Gump feel to it where, <laughs> yeah, like, I guess Frank's character was involved in every single major event that happened over, like, a three-decade period. Yeah. and That's and, hilarious that you say that. That's, that's really, really funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Well, because I got it is that wide, it, does, it goes all the way up to the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, he's you know, the always there. Like he yeah. brings the truck to, to to like the weapons for the Bay of Pigs piece. And but to Mike's point, I think whether you know the character of Frank actually was involved in all these things was kind of less important than it was to tell the story from Scorsese's perspective about America over this. Yeah, I guess it started post World War II and went up until like the eighties, right? So that's a a four decade period and. That's, again, the movie's a reflection. It's about America at the time. And while this movie doesn't actually contemporize anything, it doesn't move into the modern day, I think it's making a statement about maybe, you know, how things were then and how maybe while the mob isn't as prevalent anymore, like maybe not that much has shifted. Like we still are kind of facing the same uh, challenges from an ideological perspective as they were in these movies, right? It was unions versus... The government versus you, you know, the wealthy and who, power who has power who, exactly. and who controls, yes. and that that that's no different then than it is today. I just and I I totally hear you, and that's why I get so fired up about this movie is because you can take all of that just just from a macro level and just how the the impact all of this stuff has on the American way, but then you can also like. I'm, I completely can relate to this movie or at least c- can see common man elements in it as well because they, it gets down to family, it gets down to relationships, it gets down to the, the brevity of life and the lifespan and, and how 
certain choices that you make impact things and you prioritize things at a certain part of your life that won't be prioritized later. And that's just, those are themes that exist in everybody. Like we're, we're guys, we're not mobsters. We're not in the mob. At least I don't think you guys are right. True. You guys did yes. say Denver mob earlier, but, <laughs> but like those are things that exist in our life and we can, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that we know that are around where these guys are in terms of age that could probably say, yeah, I've been there to some degree or another. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, you know, we're not facing the same sort of questions of like, hey, you know, do I have to murder this person to gain the respect of a superior so that I can like advance? But um, you're always kind of, you know, making decisions and uh, having these sort of like, you know, I don't know, moral justifications and if, whether it relates to work and life and relationships or whatever else. So you're trying to move up the ladder, right? Yeah. Which is I mean, what this is. It's, you're, it's a guy that doesn't want to live a certain kind of life and goes after that and everyone does that in their own way and, and he's a product or... of his environment and yeah. i think you can make the argument that everyone is to some extent what did you guys think of the execution of the hoffa murder scene we were talking before a little bit just jordan and i how the end of the movie really takes its time to sort of shift from this mob story linear thing to like this suspenseful how this was executed, or at least the way that they portrayed in the book. And so Scorsese trying to do that really spent a lot of detail-oriented sections going through that, all the way from the restaurant to the plane flight to everything else, and there really is a lot to unpack there. Yeah, it really takes its time. It's very deliberately paced. He gets on the plane, he's getting on the car. Yeah, There's two hours or so of of groundwork being laid, and then when it comes to... It all comes to a head in a scene where Joe Pesci is communicating to, uh, to De Niro that it is what it is. The decision's been made, right? The hires up have called in a favor. They've done whatever they had, could do for um, for uh, Jimmy Hoffa, right? Like, I think uh, Joe Pesci shows remorse, right? He's like, I like him, but we've done all we could do for this guy, right? And so... At that point, you see De Niro wrestling with the decision. He knows what he has to do. And I thought it was really, really amazing that at that from that point on, basically, it was a silent, it was silent, right? Mm-hmm. You, all you saw was the motion of De Niro getting on the plane, traveling to Detroit, and all the pursuing um, actions that led to the death of Hoffa, and, and and that to me was like the most essential part. You knew it was coming, right? Like everyone right. knows Hoffa that's why died. It's, you knew that's why it was so coming, impressive. but how it played out was amazing. Yeah, and it's it's funny because like at the same time, like it's a very serious thing, but there was also some some comedy in there too when they get into the car to go pick up Jimmy Hoffa, and you see uh, um, Jesse Plemons. Uh, it's uh, Hoffa's, I think, stepson. Is who he's supposed to be playing, but it's it's Fat Damon. <laughs> Everyone knows this guy is Fat Damon, and he's driving around, and you know it's uh, it, it's it's comedic because they're arguing about right. They're going to kill Jimmy Hoffa. This is a famous famous person. He's like the Beatles. Yeah, exactly. You're right. you're, you're gonna go. You're killing a celebrity, and then they're arguing about who sits in the front seat and the back seat because the back seat's wet. And as explained by Fat Damon, the backseat is wet because he had a, a frozen fish back there. That he transported in the backseat yeah. and out in his truck. Which, which spread on a very a funny conversation about what, what kind of fish. Okay. How did this happen? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I almost didn't know whether he was hiding something or where that was coming, where it was like, clearly it's not mm-hmm. a fish. But no, there was an actual fish back there. But the, the fish has its own metaphor, right? Because Hoffa gets in and he gives him the advice that says never put a fit you, you can't get rid of the stench of the fish and it's very much metaphorically mm. to to frank and it's like you're, you're never going to be rid of this the, the stench of this on your soul the, the stench of this murder is going to haunt you like a fish haunts the backseat of your car that's a that's a great interpretation because i didn't i did not actually like from my perspective i like i couldn't see how that fit into anything else and that's that's it's, it's interesting to hear you put it in that perspective I, if there's another take that's I, I definitely thought it meant just the, this is going, the, this is going to be a stench on you. And then later in the movie, you find out that it had this great impact on his life and his family. So it's like the stench is on you. This, this is going to follow you forever. Like this, the fish in the car. Hmm. So, so I was like, I was like, I didn't know whether the fish was 
was like did he did he have something in there that was going to I, I didn't know what, what that whole thing was about and then I was like oh no it's the actual fish and it was just kind of a, like to your point it was a funny bit but yeah there's everything happens for a reason every every piece of conversation happens for a reason yeah well that's what's interesting is when that that conversation was happening all that stuff the like De Niro going to the house and then driving back you're suddenly hyper focused on every little thing that's happening which makes that fish scene and all that dialogue where like is this important is this what why are they talking about this and even though you know that Hoffa disappears and he's going to be dead you're not sure if that's what's going to happen but you know it is but it's just like the way that they frame it isn't like a normal like, like situation I, it it's really hard to do that i feel like in a movie where you know it's going to happen and you're still impressed with it well that whole scene takes place in the D and, and Mike, you said your dad took you to mm-hmm. to the spot. You've been there. Yeah, so it's um, either if I remember correctly, there's a restaurant there still or something there. It's not the original restaurant. I, it's like the Red Fox, the Red Hen, I believe, one of those. And it's right at 15 and Telegraph, which you know we grew up not that far from there. And it's kind of wild that that's such a famous kind of scene of an event. Um, and it's really not something that too many people in Michigan talk that much about. I mean, people know about Jimmy Hoffa, but the actual scene that he was last seen at is like right there. Yeah, but it's, it's you know, it's always sort of poignant for us because I think even as recent as a couple of years ago, they dug up some driveway in the Metro Detroit area because there was a rumor from hmm. some old guy who had connections to the mob industry that, you know, Hoffa was buried or some body was buried, but beneath the driveway so like they're still actively pursuing these things and digging up these driveways and it's crazy um i think in, in that specific case they found that like yeah, there's nothing there but the, it's the, like a weird detroit michigan thing yeah I guess. it is it's not something that gets talked about as much well and that's what that's what de niro says in the movie right like you guys don't know jimmy hoffa like people don't even know anymore about this and i guess people don't you know what do you think about it it's actually that was one of the uh, things that i found most intriguing about the movie is like I was looking up, like, history events that they talked about in the movie. Like, this guy that got murdered the uh, at the Italian um, really happened, right? movement. And I was like, I don't know who that is. Like, mm-hmm. it was it was very interesting to me to, like, understand these things. And I felt like the, the nurse who was, like... No reference level at all. I don't know. I don't know who right. these people are. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, it feels like you That's should know about these things, yeah. but, like, you don't. Yeah, yeah, I think those 20 minutes are really suspenseful and to mike's point it's incredible the, the the tension that's able to be built in a subtle way that the, the getting the news from russell that you got to do this job how it's going to work going on the plane looking out the window getting the rental car all into that fish conversation they they really let it build a in a subtle way which i appreciated mm-hmm. what did you think about the murder itself i was struck by when it happened, right? So they're in this house. He shoots off. De Niro shoots off in the back of the head. And then there's this quick little scene where he looks away and the camera pans to like down the hallway of the house. And I couldn't for the life of me make sense of that. I don't know if you remember hmm. that, but I was wondering what like the significance and the meaning of it was. Yeah, I do. So I think what that means is that he's always going to be looking over his shoulder and he's always going to be looking at what the repercussions of that action are going to be on his life. And, and it I plays think, out, right? Because mm-hmm. Pesci made the point. I, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right, Bob. Pesci made the point, right? Like, I chose us over them. And I think maybe that was the only thing I could draw from it. Like, maybe he was like not totally sure about that and maybe somebody was coming for him right after he did... Uh, his mm. job at the execution. So Well, he's even told, so it looks like when it's going down and, and there was that scene in the restaurant where they're making the salad together, him and Russell, and and he's he says, I have to put you in this. And what he's saying is they're going to kill Hoffa regardless, and they might even kill you because they know how close you are to Hoffa, so I need to put you in there. Basically, I be, I'm I'm saving your life by making you do this because that's going to prove to them that you're on our side. Mm. So that's that's the hand that's forced, and that's why De Niro feels like he has to go do that because he's going to be followed, and he has such a strong connection. He didn't know if I kill Hoffa, is there going to be someone coming around the corner that's going to ice me out because of how close I was to him anyway? That's for the rest of his life. That's why he's with yeah. he's he's that old man, and those two agents are talking to him. They're like, everyone's gone. 
You don't have to worry. No one here, no one's left to, to take you out for talking, right? And, and they, they talk about in this movie a lot. The only way that three people can, can keep a secret is if two are gone. And, and they, they, those are the themes. Yeah, so it's like, game. I know this now. How, where's the fallout going to come towards me? And I think that's why he looks down that aisle. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense, and it, it is. It's just it's a, it's such a, a quick like cut, right? But it, it it to me it like resonated so much. Like it it just stuck with you because he she shoots that look at down the hallway, and it's like what's gonna happen to me? And that's you know at that point, I think in that moment he thought like I could be dead in two seconds or not. Yeah, I also liked kind of the setup before all this where. They talked on the phone and they agreed like who was going to show up and at what time. And then they ended up being late. And that was like Hoffa's whole thing of like having to like stand around and not have someone come on time. And the only reason he got in the car is because Frank was there, which was like a real double cross moment for this entire story. Hoffa got in that car because Frank was there because he was the one that gave, he made Hoffa feel comfortable. Exactly. He wouldn't, so have, got, he was he wouldn't like have gotten the, that car. It's the Frank ultimate backstabbing there. experience where they yeah. like, Play off every vulnerability of Hoffa and, like, Frank... Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. What do you guys think of Joe Pesci in this movie? Because we haven't really talked about him much. Okay. Okay, so... Thank you for bringing that up. He's the best performance in the movie, in my opinion. I don't think so. I think De Niro is better, but... I think De Niro is a little bit mumbly, like Jackie Brown De Niro. He's a little bit, like... I mean, he explains stuff non-verbally and does a really good job. I mean, he's... Ah, He's so... De Niro is so restrained. the weight of everything... Yeah. Uh, he has to carry the weight of everything that we've just talked about. Like, he has to be a reflection of all those things. Whereas uh, Joe Pesci was very specific. Like, he was sort of this um, calm, demeanored mob guy that underneath, you could tell, had this, like, sort of uh, vicious streak to him that was uncompromising. And that is a great performance, I think. But I don't think he had to balance as much as De Niro did. I think a lot of it, too, is just what you expect from Pesci in these movies. And then in this movie, he's just much more reserved. So it's just seeing a different side of him. He's not. He didn't smack anybody with a baseball bat or anything like that. Right, or put someone's head in a vice or anything. He yeah. didn't do anything crazy yeah. like that. I just think he's he's sort of the most likable gangster out of all the people in the movie, though. Like, I liked him the most out of the, out of the characters. And it's really been a solid 20 years since we've seen him in anything meaningful. Yeah. yeah, Pesci is has this quiet intimidation where you just feel he's like, oh, he could murder anybody at any time. But then it, it, and it's just it's it's a lot of the subtleties in, in his body language and his face, which I think was just it, it was so understated. And I loved it. De Niro was so natural in this movie. And it really feels that when he's talking and especially his at the camera talking head stuff, it, it feels a lot like it's not even scripted, doesn't it? Like it feels just like it's coming out of his mouth, and he, he's just completely mm-hmm. natural. I, I, I think just everyone was so good in this, and then that's that's why the Pacino pieces. I, I still think it's it, it's Pacino, like he's going for it, but I, I just think how animated he is too is is was f- fantastic. I, I was really into his relationship, especially Peggy was the name of the daughter, not Anna Paquin. But did the, like that whole piece and her relationship between her and uh, Russell Buffalino and, and how cold that was versus her relationship with Jimmy. I thought all of that stuff just played so nicely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pacino yeah. definitely did his thing where he took it up to 100 and he's screaming and he's yelling and he's orating. But he also <laughs> dialed it way back down uh, for those moments in between. So like the, the public Hoffa, right? When... Uh, Pacino's playing the public Hoffa. He was very, um, very uh, electric, and he was mm-hmm. um, sort of you know he's a celebrity, right? So he's being uh, he's yeah. like a showman almost. He's a, yeah, he's yeah, he's got. Exactly you could tell right. he was he's two different showman, people in his private scenes with De Niro. Yeah, yeah right. right. He, he very like he gives much, that speech. He's like, you know, if you got your health, or you got your medicine, a truck delivered it. He did this, a truck delivered it. And it was like, you're getting hyped. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. I get it. If I, like, if I was driving a truck, I'd be like, yeah, I did all that. Like, let's go. Like, you get the, like, aura that he brought uh, to all that stuff. I, the only thing I'll say is with Pesci is, like, you know, I, I don't have any experience with, like, mob bosses. But, like, people who are, like, super respected and have a lot of stature, like, I feel like that's how they act. Where it's, like, very, they're very slow and deliberate. And they say things a certain way and they're slow. Because they don't need to, like, be this, like, big personality because of how... 
like how much sway well, and also have, just uh, in situations. And I just really like the more I might talk, the more I might reveal, or the 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 more chance there could be to, to mm. slip up or lose leverage. So if I'm if I'm quiet and I'm always kind point. of surveying things, it, it gives me a certain power in this moment. That's at least the way I took it. But also that like Pesci, Joe Pesci in real life is a person of small stature, and that was sort of obvious in the film too. But the fact that like he's so well respected, I think, tells the viewer too like this guy's has a lot of power. Like people fear this per this guy not physically. Like he's not walking into any room and beating the shit out of somebody, right? He's like this little old dude, but everyone's afraid of him, right? Yeah. And then I guess finally the the last piece I really want to talk about is just Martin Scorsese and his his general legacy and I don't want to go into a full case four on it but I, I this movie's mesmerizing I still think that he's making movies that ha- have a very clear voice that are always original and and always for the most part are are, are making me think on a very high level and it, that's a testament to you know a lot of guys that came in in his era aren't doing that anymore including maybe even steven spielberg like the last i can't remember the last time i've been super mm. hyped for a spielberg movie or watched a spielberg movie and had this much thought around it let alone george lucas or de palma or any of those guys that came out of this era like scorsese still makes these incredible movies and is in he himself is standing the test of time so i just wanted to get your thoughts just in terms of martin scorsese in that space did you get the feeling a little bit that scorsese was almost closing the book not only almost not only on his work in mob movies but like just mob movies in general like like who's like if you're gonna make another mob movie like what's yeah what's your angle? It's not Pacino. It's <laughs> yeah. gonna be in it. It's not De Niro. Yeah. Like those are the guys that make mob movies. Like this is a this is like a time period that's I think by yeah, and we're moving into a, a new generation. Yeah, it's almost like John Wayne and, and westerns, like, right? This is it. This is the last one. Yeah, it's done. That's yeah, yeah, it. and that's what I mean. Where like it's hard to the whole time I was watching it when I very beginning of this I said it's almost like a trilogy. I see this as like a almost a linear mob story that only Scorsese could do. Like, Bob, that's your point. Like, I mean, Scorsese is like his own genre of movie. It's almost like, not I mean, only I mean, these could, are dramas, but he's, he's able to do this in a way that really, I don't think anyone else can do. Not only could, you know, maybe you know, only Scorsese do this. You can only make this movie if you have 80 year old actors who have had a 40 year career of making mob movies. Sure. Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense really if we don't know the past of these guys through, and I'm talking again about the actors, but like the work that they've done in the past for mob movies. Solid point. We didn't really talk about how it's a Netflix release, and I know you throw a shit fit anytime com- someone complains about the runtime being a three and a half hour long movie. But I do like I really appreciated the fact that it was long enough that um, we were able to to get the story in its uh, entirety. And I actually, it made me think of a, a larger point about if movies are going to continue to thrive, whether they're in the theater or on Netflix, I think they have to stop adhering to some kind of formula where it has to be like under two hours. And, you know, maybe that means making a movie in two parts that releases on Netflix that, um, you know, comes out at the same time and it's a four hour long movie. And maybe that means, you know, a 90 minute comedy in the theater and you know, I, to your point, Bob, maybe this is a conversation that you can just cut and we should have had after the podcast, but um, like, what do you, like, what do you, yeah, I know, but what do you think about that? Like, I, I just, I think we have to get away from this formula of that movies have to, to be a certain way and have to fit a certain time frame. Well, did you, mm-hmm. I was going to say, do you see what they do with Hateful Eight on Netflix? They release in a, a a director's cut of Hateful Eight, and it's four hour long episodes. It's literally like oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so when you when you select it, it's I think this is right. It's four. So like that's a really interesting thing, right? It's not a mini series. It's a movie, but they just break it up for you, just so as a consumer, as someone who watches Netflix, I can just watch episode one on a Tuesday night, stop it, and then you know. But it's not like filmed that way. It's just the consumption of it. So like I. All that kind of creative stuff, and I think it's important. And I think 
like Scorsese doing this to Netflix is super cool. Like you could be a total like pretentious dick about it and be like, I'm not putting my movie on like a streaming service and like all, which is kind of what Spielberg did. Right? He he made a big scene about that. Because I think I think that's the thing. There's like a time and place for everything. It's like yeah, if if your movie fits into that two hour time slot, put it on the big screen. Mm-hmm. If you want to tell a story that's like you know not really a six hour miniseries, but you probably have four hours and that's kind of a long movie, like. Just find what format fits. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm I totally agree, and for the people that get get caught up on a three and a half hour runtime and also want to sit there and talk to me about how they binged out nine hours of Shameless in a weekend, it's I, I do whatever you want to do. I'm not gonna sit here and say, oh, look at it like it's a miniseries, and you know you'll like it better. I I I don't subscribe to that camp. Just I think. St- Take your time. I, I also think, you know, the, the people that might find this movie dull are also much more likely to jump on their phone, to, to do things in the middle of it, and they're, and they're not going to be as engaged with the movie as you might be at a theater. But I, I, I think in general you're, you're spot on, Jordan, where there's going to be – there's the more formats there are for, for movies, the, the more likely they're going to they're gonna put movies on the format that's going to succeed. And, and it's going to mean more projects like this get taken on. Whereas otherwise, they wouldn't have been produced at all because it's not going to have a, a very great cinematic foot traffic. I think bring on good movies in and, and whatever format it's going to work for them. Have them come and, Which and, and I'll be here for it. I did read something that said when this movie was being pitched... The feedback from the studios to Scorsese was basically, nobody wants a mob movie with De Niro anymore. Like, that's done. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's, that, I read that. I don't you know whether that's entirely true or if that's just something that, uh, you know, the creators tell to to sort of, you know, justify their, like the decisions. their excellence. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember the, the first trailer for this came out during the Oscars and it was just that bullet flipping through the air and it was like dotting the eyes of all the of all the names coming out and everybody that was in the room with me got super hyped so but maybe that's just the the group that I'm in but uh, I think it, I I think a lot of people were here for yeah. this movie right all right Brad, take us home great well there was a, a lot to unpack in this movie there's a lot to unpack in in the career and how they coincide with each other. Uh, I I really enjoyed this movie. I I know a lot of Joey Six Packs are gonna look at it and go, oh, I was a little bored by that, and they probably don't. I guess that just means that's this isn't the type of movie for you. This movie's not geared towards you. If you're just kind of looking to settle up, watch a few guys get shotgun blasts to the back of the head, like probably not for you but for, for for the people that really do like to to reflect to think to to chew on conversations like we just had i i, I found it particularly uh, thrilling so thanks guys for coming on and right, don't man, forget anytime. to like and subscribe and follow and we'll talk to you guys next time bye